Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to eat to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by its gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. All right. Uh, so last week we, we spent a lot of time with the timing, uh, talking about how uh, four times at the end here in chapter 22, the book of Revelation restates coming soon, time is near, uh, all of those things. And I gave my explanation uh, it, if anything I hope sticks in your mind, it's dominoes. That's, that's the explanation about the, all of these things unfolding uh, as God's plan. And so all of it was going to begin immediately, and then the dominoes are going to ultimately uh, fall. Verses 12 and 13, coming soon, recompense with me to repay each for what, what he has done. So here we have this um, reminder about... Uh, what Jesus is ultimately doing. And that would be a confidence to uh, what we're seeing in the book, that we're witnessing that the, the people of God are suffering for the cause of Christ. And so here is Jesus saying, uh, I'm going to come and I'm bringing my reward with me. And you'll notice there's like some summary images of things that we have studied as we've gone through this book over the past few months. Uh, for example, in verse verse 14, blessed are those who've washed their robes. Do you remember them all the way back in chapter 7? You know, who is this great multitude who's standing before the throne of God and they're comforted by God? These are the ones who've come through the tribulation. They've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They're pictured as alive with God, safe with God because they're faithful to God. Uh, and so you have the very end of the book coming back in, in full circle here and saying, yes, these are the ones... Uh, who are with God, verse 14, uh, they have the right to the, the, the tree of life. And that'd be, an, again, an important conclusion. The book has been about don't worship the beast and don't worship its image and don't participate in that false idolatry. Instead, stay faithful to God. And even if you lose your life, even if you are persecuted, here is this final picture of the Lord is bringing his Reward and his recompense and those who are faithful to him, uh, they are going to enjoy the, the tree of life. By contrast, verse 15, uh, here's all the outsiders. And we saw them earlier back um, in uh, chapter 21. Remember, the listing began with the cowards and the sexually immoral and all that. So here they're depicted again. Uh, and a reminder that all this is com coming to pass very, very soon and a call for everyone to enjoy uh, life. Probably if there's a, a passage in Revelation that everyone has heard a lot of is verses 18 and 19, right? Do not 
add to or take away from the words of the book. All right. So how does that fit with what this is talking about here? What is that? What's that warning describing? What's he telling them here, Debbie? Okay. It would be hard when, when you think about here God is calling for them to be faithful. Don't worship the beast. Don't bow the knee. Don't participate in the pagan idolatry. Don't participate in the imperial worship that's going on in that day and time. Don't do all those things because if you do, you will not belong with God. You will not be part of those who are enjoying eternity with him. You will not eat the tree of life. How tempting would it be to say, let's just not follow that one. If you think about the book of Revelation, there's a lot of hard things that you're going to want to alter. (laughs) There's a lot of things you're going to want to say, add to, take away, change, all of that kind of thing. And uh, the book of Revelation is not easy, not because of its symbolism, but because of what it's telling the Christians they're going to have to go through. You must be faithful to death. You're going to experience an intense persecution and hardship and so here is a warning about not changing those things. I'd like to observe with you just contextually when it says there in verse, verses 18 and 19 about the plagues described in this book and this warning. What, what is this book? Revelation. While true that we don't change any of God's word, <laughs> the direct point of this is the book of Revelation that was given to John. Do not add to or the plagues that are found in the book of Revelation are going to be applied to you. If you take away them, the curses of it will be applied to you as well. Now, again, not saying that means you can change the other 65 books. That's not the point. (laughs) But it is useful just to keep in mind that this is talking directly about the book of of Revelation. And then the final reminder to say that Jesus is is coming soon. And that hits back of what we talked about uh, last week, Debbie. I wasn't here last week and I listened to it online. But anyway, I think it was Muriel that made the point that when John slipped up again and worshipped the angel, yeah. how easy would that be to sure. do? Just to, to accidentally fall into worshipping something that I'm right. supposed to worship. Yes. Especially for these people that are going through such it is. persecution. It would, and it would be a very powerful message because, I mean... Who wouldn't, in all the glory of what John has seen in this book, be uh, enthralled and, and uh, compelled to worship the spiritual beings that he's seen? You go back to chapter 4 and what you've seen with the, the spiritual beings around the throne of God. And again, I think that's recorded to make the point, John, even, you're not even allowed to worship what is is good and holy angels worship God only, which would only underscore, so then can you worship the beast? No. Can you worship the emperor? No. Can you worship any of these idols? No. Because you're not even supposed to worship, and if an angel comes down in front of you, don't even do that. So I think it's really trying to underscore, don't try to do mental gymnastics to try to get out of God's command about bowing the knee and worshiping and being subservient to the things of the Roman Empire, because that's not going to work. And so I think it's a, a neat picture, and it's a, I think that's why it's in there twice. So I think that you have it happen twice here at the end of that. Okay, so I'm ready for the review. As a, I mean, the end of 22 is really just the final directions, and I've kind of put those up there for you. You feel good about those? Otherwise, we can press restart.
and take our rocket ship through the 22 chapters and see how we do. Because you have all the answers written down, right? I know you're ready. All right. Let's go. All right. You have your Revelation review. It's in the back of your workbook. If you don't have the back of your workbook on the pulpit stand back there is a copy. It does not have the answers so that, you know. (laughs) But uh, it is there for you and (laughs) if you want to follow along with the questions. All right. So let's hit restart and rewind. And again, I'll make, make the point again. I don't have time to reteach Revelation in this review, okay? So if it's something that you're like, I don't, I don't buy it, I don't agree with it, that's fine. You don't have to agree with it. Uh, but we don't have time to go, go through that. I would just encourage you to go listen to the lessons that were previously done in that. But if it's a question of clarity, I don't understand, uh, I'm happy to try to use this as our opportunity to go back through this again. All right. Back to chapter 1 on your question review there. That's page 40 in your workbook at the very end. Why is this book called Revelation? Uh, the, the, chapter 1 is the most important chapter of the whole thing. If you don't get chapter 1 locked down, you're going to just get all over the place as you go through the book. So why is this called even Revelation in the first place? It's a revealing. It's, it's a very uh, self-evident named book. Which goes against everything that everybody says about the book, right? Everybody says the book is concealed and hard and hidden. And the whole book is called the unveiling, the revealing. This is revealing the things that were previously hidden or concealed. So uh, to come into the book and say, well, it was written in a way so that nobody could understand it and it's all code language and it was all made to be very hard is the opposite of how the very first verse begins. This is the revealing of things that have been prior not understood, been concealed, not revealed. Uh, and this is the unveiling or the revealing of that. All right. Uh, second question, when are the events of Revelation to occur according to those first three verses of chapter one? The time is near and things that must soon take place. Did I do a whole class on that? I think I did. <laughs> I think I stood on my head on that one and said, however we understand the book, you have to have it make it work that the things are near and must soon take place. And I asked you, is 2000 years soon? No. Is 400 years soon? No. So any interpretation that is strictly an end time view is out. And I use that to be one of my many daggers as to a Rome only view has a problem too, because that's 400 years until that would happen. And you just said 400 years is not soon. (laughs) So there has to be something even more immediate that this book has to be including to be able to say near and soon. Uh, It has to be relevant to that first Generation, Because if I told you something was going to happen in the year 2,423, is that soon? Would you even care? <laughs> no. 400. No, whatever. We'll cross, that. we'll cross those a few more times as we go through the review. Number three, what does it mean for the book to be signified? You have words in the first three verses that will say signified, revealed, shown, made known. He saw, 
What does the book try to tell us about itself when it keeps using words like signified and revealed and shown and saw? Okay, these are signs, pictures, images, and that's very important to the book. So when you read it, that doesn't mean, okay, I'm waiting for an actual dragon to sweep the stars from the sky and stand there and see a beast stand on the, on the sand of the, of the shore. Those are pictures, images, symbols. Now, this is really important. I think I stood on my head on this one. Just because something is an image or a symbol or a picture does not mean that it doesn't have a literal, actual, real, tangible thing it's talking about. Because here's what often happens. People go, oh, you say it's just signs and symbols, so it's all kind of just this theoretical thing. No, 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 no. Just because it's a sign doesn't mean it doesn't have an actual reality that it's pointing to. And I use the stop sign image for you. If you see a red octagon, is that just a general theoretical idea? Because it's a sign. No, it's a literal reality. Stop your car. <laughs> so just because you have a symbol doesn't mean you don't have a literal reality. Just because the dragon is an image doesn't mean Satan's not real. See what I'm getting at? So just because it's symbolic, just because it's imagery, just because it's painting pictures, does not mean that we are not talking about actual, real, literal events. We are. But God loves to use pictures uh, when he talks like that. And you see that in Matthew 24, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Daniel, lots and lots of books where when God talks like this about judgment, he always kicks into vivid imagery. And the same thing in Revelation. Who's going to be, or wait, number four. Okay, this is a good one. What does it mean to come in the clouds? We, we spent, I think I spent a whole other class on that one. Judgment. Does coming in the clouds always mean end of the world? No. And the way you know is just go read the Bible. God talks a lot about coming in the clouds. And every time he talks about coming in the clouds, he is speaking of judgment. Now, it's not specific. Just because he comes in the clouds doesn't mean tell you what judgment he's talking about. Could it be the end of the world? Sure, he does talk about coming in the clouds and final judgment. But he also talked about coming in the clouds against Babylon. And he also talked about coming in the clouds against Jerusalem. He does that many different times. So when you see in scriptures the Lord coming in the clouds, your brain just goes, judgment's coming, somebody's in trouble. And you have to read the context to know who. And sometimes it's the whole world. And sometimes it's just a nation and a group of people. And so question four is very important because sometimes because the beginning of chapter one talks about he'll come in the clouds and every eye will see him and immediately default into the end of the world. Well, that wouldn't work very well because we just said four verses earlier, the time is soon, things that must soon take place, the time is near. So it can't be all in time. It has to be also to the first century, the things that they're experiencing. Number five, who is going to be judged from chapter one, verse seven? Who's in view here? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> uh, when you read verse seven, You'll notice that it says every eye will see him. And it says even those who pierced him. Uh, and I want you to get a sense that already I think it's leaking an idea of, well, 
Who were the ones who pierced Christ? Okay, the Romans did, so they're certainly an object of God's wrath. Who else? Jews, they're an object of God. We've got to deal with judgment in terms of who has been resistant to God and his people. Jerusalem's one of them. Rome's one of them. And of course, ultimately, everybody's going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we get to that point at the end of the book, don't we? The final couple chapters drive at that. So right early on in the beginning of the book, you're already getting the levels of here's who's got to be dealt with, who has to be, who has to be a part of this judgment. Uh, and then number six, what did it mean that John was uh, in the spirit? He's... Is seen everything in a vision. So this again goes back to we're seeing pictures, okay? Not literal dragons and literal stars and literal beasts and literal plagues and literal bulls and vision. We're in a vision. We're seeing pictures. And as you see the pictures, then you're pointing to these particular realities that are happening. All right. Questions about chapter one. That's if you don't get chapter one right. Boy, oh boy. And I think uh, that's why you have myriads of books, teachings, misunderstandings, and false concepts about the book because we're in a hurry to get to chapters 4 through 22 and don't stop in chapter 1 to pay attention to what he said was going on in the book. All right? You feel good. You're professionals. By the end of this class, you're going to be able to go teach everybody Revelation. I'm excited. I'm going to sit down next week and let you guys go. Fantastic. All right. Chapter two. Oh, well, chapters two and three. Seven churches of Asia in summary. What would you say is the overall message? Okay. One, certainly. Repent. Remember. Repent. Remember. Continue to work. Yeah. Continue to do the work to those who were doing well. Keep going, right? There's, a, there's lots of commendings that are in it. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, I kind of summed it up as be faithful to death because the overcomers will be, will be rewarded and the unrepentant will be judged. Because right? in each of those letters, it's here's who's doing good. Here's who's not doing well. And here's what I'm going to do about it. Right? <laughs> so if you're doing well, commended, be faithful unto death. If you're not doing well, repent or I'm coming after you. <laughs> and so you give that warning that, that, that's laid out in there. So the unrepentant will be judged. The overcomers will be rewarded. And to state in there about being faithful unto death leaks to us where this book is going. It's going to tell us about it's not just be faithful unto death theoretical, kind of like we talk about, like, you know, be faithful unto death until you slowly slip off to death in your sleep when you're 85 or 90 years old or whatever it is. It means you're going to die for the cause of Christ. Be faithful. Don't give up. Don't give in. That's a very important message to those seven churches. Chapter four. How would you sum up chapter four about what's happening in heaven? Worship. I mean, everybody is worshiping and praising God. Now, have you thought about how that really sets the tone to the book at this point, now that we've crossed through it? Since the book is setting up about don't participate in the false worship, don't, don't bend the knee to the idols, don't worship the beast, don't worship its image. Here is this picture of here's what should be, ha- be happening is all of the spiritual creation in chapter four is worshiping God. 
And so what a neat scene that you have is the living creatures are worshiping and praising God. And then the 24 elders, they're throwing their crowns and bowing on the ground and they're praising God and everybody's praising God in heaven. So it's a scene of, in chapter four of worship uh, and of praise. All right. Chapter five, who's worthy to open the scroll? Yeah. And I hope you might have two answers there. Who is proclaimed to be worthy to open the scroll? The lion of the tribe of Judah and John turns to look and he sees a lamb that's been slain. That's such a ironic imagery that's, that's laid out there. Really neat. Here is the prophesied lion of the tribe of Judah. Here is your king and yet the king is going to be the slaughtered, the slaughtered lamb. So chapter 5 um, depicts that. All right, so far so good. Before I ask the last question of chapter 5, chapters 2, 3, 4, 5 so far, all good. No problems. Piece of cake. Why does anybody have a problem with Revelation? So easy. All right, good. You all laugh, so you're in. All right, question 2 of chapter 5. What's the sealed scroll? The scroll from Daniel. All right. And, and that's that's very important. That's very important to the interpretation of this book. Here is this pictured scroll in chapter five that has been sealed. And you read about that back in Daniel 12, verse, verse four, as well as verse nine. Those two two spots where you see that. And remember, Daniel's told with that scroll, don't worry about it. It's sealed until the time of the end. Until that messianic age. And now the scroll comes back into play. And this is what is being revealed. What has been concealed or sealed up is now being unsealed and revealed. This book is unsealing that and revealing the contents of that scroll. One of the things that really struck me about that is um, when I... Well, I'll say when I saw this, this is not my idea, so it's not that, that, but, you know, my own personal light bulb of, oh, Revelation 5 scroll is the same scroll there. I just as a, a kudos to, to this individual, I am amazed Homer Haley wrote that and said, you know, this is like pre-computers. <laughs> he writes it out and goes, that's the scroll that you see back there in Daniel 12. And I'm like, that's amazing. That, and that, that is a game changer in understanding what the book is talking about. Because when you see that connection, therefore, the things that are in Daniel that have been sealed up until the time of the end. Now, when you're in the book of Revelation, you know what to expect. Because you know what, what Daniel was told not to worry about. <laughs> Here's Daniel going, I want to know, I want to know. And God's going, no, no, later. Tell you later. And then Revelation comes on the scene and the scroll is ultimately opened. Uh, I'll remind you of the two things that while the book of Daniel has lots of prophecies about nations in it. You know, you'll read about Persia in there and you'll read about Greece in there. When you're standing in the first century, there are... Put yourself in the days of Jesus. There are two statements, two prophecies that are made in the book of Daniel that haven't been dealt with yet. One you know pretty well. You have in Daniel chapter 2, the fourth image of the statue has to be shattered 
and blown to pieces by that stone, the kingdom of God that becomes the great mountain. And every one of the few points of agreement, everybody sees that fourth empire is the Roman Empire. Well, when you're in the first century, the Roman Empire is still going. It has to be dealt with. Daniel 7, the same thing. There are four beasts in, 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 in Daniel 7. And it is a fourth terrifying beast that is shattering the power of the holy people. So we haven't dealt with that beast. That's who you're reading about in, in Revelation 13. So Daniel has those, those visions in it. It also have vision, has visions of what I just said, the shattering of the power of the holy people. And that's in Daniel 7. It's also in Daniel 9 and the vision of 70 weeks where you have um, the anointed is cut off and the holy city is destroyed. And then desolation has to be put upon the desolator. So you have Jerusalem has to be destroyed and a judgment against the, against the Jews for killing Christ. And you also have a judgment against the Roman Empire. Both are in the book of Daniel Both are sealed up in that scroll, and then both are being unsealed here at the end of chapter 5. All right? So that's your easy part of Revelation, first five chapters. Good to go? Questions? All right. Be a test at the end. Chapter 6. What do the first four seals reveal? Horses. I'm sorry? Horses, okay, yep, start seeing all the horses start coming out. What do they represent? Okay, judgment. Are they bringing absolute, complete judgment? No, how do you know? What's the giveaway? There's fractions, right? When you see these fractions of a third of this or a fourth of that, that tells you that we have partial judgments that that are are taking, taking place. Uh, in fact, uh, and when you have uh, in, in Revelation chapter 6 and in verse 8, all of these uh, pictures being given of all of this authority to kill and do all these things. Uh, and unfortunately, you don't have any kind of repentance that is, that is being described here. Nobody is, is turning back to God. So, um, question two of that section. So, what does the fifth seal reveal? Okay. That's a very important picture to the book as well. What are the people under the altar who have died for the cause of Christ asking God for? When are you going to basically bring justice, right? Avenge our blood. Do what is right. We have been killed for your name's sake. When are you going to do something about it? Now, if you remember, God's answer is absolutely terrifying. What's the answer? If you're not sure, go back to chapter 6. Until the rest of your brethren are killed. Probably not the answer any Christian wanted to read. You know, that was not what you were looking for. You were looking for, you know, tomorrow I'm going to to, to deal with all of this. But uh, what an answer that God gives uh, in verse 11 when he says to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who are killed as they themselves have been. It's, It's going to get worse before it gets better. 
And that's what the rest of the book starts depicting. But ultimately, there is a promise made by God that there will be justice. God is going to act on behalf of his people. And so that's what the fifth seal reveals, a promise of justice for the slain people of God. All right. And then finally, the sixth seal, what does that reveal? You'll notice the lights out imagery. Um, There's the sun, moon, stars are all falling, skies rolled up, mountains are running, everybody's running. You see, when you see imagery in the scriptures of sun being darkened or moon not giving its light or stars falling from the sky, put yourself in the shoe of the audience and you heard, okay, the sun's dark and the stars are gone and the moon's not shining. The point is you're dead. It's not, doesn't, it's not there anymore. Lights out. It's over. Judgment on the nation or judgment on the people or whoever the object of God's wrath is, lights out. It's over. So you'll see that image used a lot in scriptures. It's told by Babylon's told the same thing. I mean, lights out for them. No more sun, moon, stars, all, all done for you. Same ideas being, being uh, given here. Lights out for the nation. Now, what's interesting, if you remember, two things about where we are, were in chapter 6. Number one, God has not specified who the object of his wrath is at this point. It's, that's what's so interesting about how the, the images unfold, is he never just comes out at the beginning and goes, here's who I'm talking about. Put, put an end to all the debates out there, right? It doesn't do that. It just starts unveiling imagery. And this other key is that chapter 6 is really an overview for the events that are going to unfold in chapters 7 through 11. I think that's really important because what you have is a picture of four images of partial judgments. The people crying out, when are you going to do something? God says, I'm going to do it. And then the next image is it being done. Lights out, sun, moon, stars, boom, it's, it's over and done. They're, they're wiped out. Now, of course, the big question is going to be, that was really fast telling of the story. What are the details? Well, the next few chapters give the details. Chapters 7 through 11 are the details of what was summarized in chapter 6. I'll say that again because that's really important. Chapters 7 through 11 are the details of what was told in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the overview. Chapter 7 through 11, the explanation. He'll do that again at the end of the book. Well, he'll give an overview and then the details. Okay? Anything else in chapter 6? I'm going to make my job easy, man. Chapter 7. Who are the 144,000? <laughs> Forgot I put that one in there. <laughs> They're the sealed servants of God. It's amazing. The text is very plain who they are. It says it a couple of different places. Chapter 7, verse 3 is a really clear spot because God says before all of these judgments unfold that you just read about in chapter 6, this big summary of how it's all going to go. God says, hold on, restrain the winds, you know, the four winds of heaven before these winds of judgment blow on the earth. Verse 1 of chapter 7, seal the people of God. And then here's the counting of the sealed, 144,000. And again, using... Symbolic numbers can't all of a sudden pick and choose when you want something to be literal. No jumping in right here and saying, I want a literal 144,000. Then you get to have literal dragons and literal beasts and literal stars falling. Once you get one, you own all of it. So you can't do it. It's symbolic of the total, complete 
people of God. And notice it's a numbering of Israel. So we're including the people of God of Israel. And we're also including the Gentiles because the very next picture is, and then he turns and sees the great multitude around the throne of God. And the question is, who are they? They've washed their robes in the blood of, uh, blood of the lamb. All right. And so that's what question two was. You'll notice who's consistent in the great multitude. Chapter seven, verse nine. Every people, language, and nation. We've got everybody, which makes sense, right? I mean, who are the servants of God? Everybody who's faithful to God. Doesn't have any consideration to ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, all are people of God. All right. Questions of chapter 7? Feeling good. All right. Chapter 8. Chapter 8 has the four, these first four trumpets. What do they reveal? Judgment. Judgment. Are they complete? Are they complete? No. We got fractions again. We're back to fractions. <laughs> we have partial things being judged. So again, this, these are the detailed explanations of what was given an overview in chapter 6. Chapter 8 now, these first four trumpets are giving details. Now, here's one of the ways to, I think, confirm this idea that we're not going forward, but we are now exploring what was said in chapter 6. In chapter 6, we have seals, and remember the saints are crying out, how long till you do something? Notice in chapter 8, that in verses 3 and 4, it says that the angel has the prayers of the saints that are coming up before the throne of God. This is the answer to what they were crying out for in chapter six. How long, how long, how long till you do something? Here's God going, here I go. Here comes my judgments. I'm now unfolding them. So what was the summary in chapter six are the details here in chapter eight. So the, when you read those first four trumpets as a response to the prayers of God's people, there's the details of these uh, partial judgments uh, to try to invoke uh, a, a repentance. All right, chapter nine. What's the fifth trumpet reveal? Right. So you see this unusual thing about locusts coming out. Yep. This invading army, and we're actually going to be in Joel's uh, prophecy very soon. Um, and the mechanism that God uses of an invading army is locusts. That's how Joel prophesies of what Babylon's going to do. Uh, so it's befitting here. Uh, in chapter 9, you are given a, a, a picture of uh, the one, his name is Abaddon and Apollyon. So we have, have Satan here. He unleashes the locusts, which is an invading army, to bring about uh, a judgment. What is in question two of chapter nine section, what does the sixth trumpet reveal? Okay. And this overwhelming army you will notice is just going through and, and destroying. And again, uh, partials third of mankind, more thirds are unloaded. Please notice though that the key uh, of chapter nine verses 20 and 21 what was the intent of these partial judgments? 
to get the people to repent. Do they repent? No. Because they do not repent, then the next scene is always the finale of judgment. I gave you opportunities through partial warnings of judgment. The people did not repent, and therefore the judgment falls. Debbie? Right. And this is always an important key, though. Satan is doing it. God is the one who is using it to accomplish his his will. Exactly right. Because that's what's particularly interesting. Um, Chapter nine, verse one, you have the star falling from heaven to the earth. And notice it doesn't say that he has power of this abyss. It says he was given the key. So here's God going, you're going to do this now. And he goes and he does it. And God's using that to accomplish his, his purposes. So that's a great question. It's always you still have the sovereignty of God. He's not waking up and going, well, I can't believe Satan did that. I'm going to have to go fix that. That's <laughs> God's completely in charge and is using those things as a means by which to get people to repent. Now, what's Satan's purpose always? To destroy you know, to harm, take people's faith away, to do awful things. But God's going, I'm using that to accomplish my purposes. And if you are ever concerned about that book of Job, right? Satan's trying to destroy Job. What's God doing? Strengthening, testing, proving that he's my faithful one. So same event, two opposite sides dealing with the circumstance. Satan's trying to wreck his faith. God's trying to show, no, he's my blameless, righteous faithful one and so God allows allows that to happen yes sir even Jesus told Judas go do what you want exactly Judas is another great example of it right you know says uh, Satan entered Judas's heart but God's fully in charge of that he selected Judas he knew what he was going to do before he even did it right what a scene go hand him the bread go do what you've got planned I know what's up <laughs> so God in complete control of all that, but using those things to accomplish his purposes. All right. Uh, So in chapter nine, the people don't repent. Chapter 10. That's the next page. When would the mystery of God be fulfilled? Very important answer that's given in chapter 10, verse seven. Mystery of God to be fulfilled when? When the seventh angel sounds the trumpet. Now, the reason why that's, that's really important is because there are very, very limited details at the end of chapter 11 when the seventh angel blows the trumpet. You're supposed to know what happens. <laughs> so he's telling you what's going to happen. This is also another very important connection to Daniel 12 right here. In chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, an angel takes his stand and makes an oath and says, um, no more delay, but the things that were the mystery of God that was sounded by the seventh angel are going to be fulfilled when that trumpet sounds. And you go back to Daniel chapter 12, it's the angel who takes the oath and says, It's going to be times, time, and half a time, and it's going to be sealed up till the time of the end. So in Daniel's day, all of these prophecies are, it's not right now, it's going to come later. 
And now in, in, in Revelation 10, excuse me, in Revelation 10, the angel stands up and says, do we have to wait anymore? No more delay. So everything that was stated in Daniel is now coming to fruition here in, in Revelation 10, which again goes back to that sealed scroll image. It was sealed in Daniel's day. It's being revealed in John's day. The answers are coming. The revealing is happening and everything is being given in its proper proper place. And so you see the seventh angel uh, blow his, his trumpet. So that's supposed to be that lights out imagery. When you get to chapter 11, very important though, chapter 10, verse 11. Who else does John have to prophesy to? You must prophesy now again to peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So I want you to see a shift that happens is going to happen here. Once we deal with the first object of God's wrath, there's more. We're not going to have a repeat and a rehearsal and let's say it again one more time. We're going to have another object of God's wrath. John, you're going to go prophesy against peoples, nations, and languages and kings. All right, chapter 11. What does the temple represent? Finally found the speed bump. All right. (laughs) You hate when you're driving along and there's this unpainted speed bump and you just. (laughs) God's faithful people. Yes. You have a measuring of the, of the temple. Those who are worshiping God, they are pictured as the faithful uh, people of, of God. Notice then in verse two, those outside the court, who are they? Well, not exactly. Yeah, the unfaithful. (laughs) That's that's fair. (laughs) What's being trampled in verse two? The holy city is being trampled by who? Verse two. There you go, Gentiles or nations. So true people of God are the true temple of God. Those who are pictured as outside the temple is the description of the holy city itself. They're ultimately uh, being, being judged. This is a, a, a very key. Oh, man, how can I be out of time? Uh, this is a very key verse. And now we're really seeing who the object of God's wrath is. There are two keys in chapter 11 that, that are objects of God's wrath. To, to explain it, and if there's anything you miss and you would go, well, who is he talking to? Well, who's being judged in chapter 11, verse 2? The holy city is being trampled. All right. That's, this, this, is, this is like the beginning question of trivial pursuit. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. I mean, you, can't, you cannot tell me that's Rome. <laughs> the holy city is always described as Jerusalem. Nailing that tent peg again is in verse eight. And this description of judgment is going to happen in the great city, symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord is crucified or their Lord is crucified. Doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It's either our Lord or the Lord of the two witnesses, which are also from God. So where was our Lord crucified? 
So it's right there. That's the object of God's wrath right here. But remember chapter 10, John was told, you must also still prophesy about nations, languages, kings. And we got more. We're not done. This can't, this isn't Jerusalem only either. We had, no, no, no. We've got more John's got to talk about, but we're out of time. 14 minute break where we convened at 1030 uh, for our worship. Write down your questions and notes and we'll come back to it. Uh, actually, in, in two weeks, I'm preaching in Miami next Sunday morning, so I won't do this class next Sunday, uh, but the Sunday after that. So you have two weeks to get all your answers for the second half. You're ready to go, right? Thanks, everybody. <laughs>